Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, for unbelievers, for people of all faiths, and for people of no faith, and also for people who on this Sunday morning may be simply bored out of their minds. My name is Patrick Joseph Francis O'Doherty. I'm a priest and a recovering sinner. I'm the pastor of Queen of Peace Catholic Church on State Road 200. That's in Ocala, Florida, in the United States of America, in the Western Hemisphere, in the world, Milky Way Galaxy, in the universe, and in the mind of God. Last week, we were taking a look at this character known as the devil or Satan. The word devil means slanderer and the word Satan means an accuser or more accurately Satan means a prosecuting attorney. He would be the one who would stand before God and explain to God why he shouldn't forgive you or why he shouldn't allow you to enter into eternal joy and eternal happiness. This week again we'll be taking a look at the devil so if you're looking for a title this is the devil book two. Now the great truths have to be expressed in story. Now why are stories uh, so important? A famous Polish rabbi was once asked why the story had such power, such per persuasive power over people's minds. Like I have noticed, for instance, that uh, children could be falling asleep in church, uh, leaning up against their parents, and to get their attention, all I have to do is say, once upon a time, in a large forest, there lived a very furry bunny, and all of a sudden, the children are paying attention. So how do we explain this power of story uh, over the human mind? So let me give you a story about stories. It happened one time that Truth walked down the street of a village as naked as the day that he was born. A streaker, the people cried, and ran into their houses, pulled the blinds, and would have nothing to do with him. As Truth walked on alone, wondering why he couldn't get across to people, he saw a story approaching him. Now Story was decked out in fine clothes, gay colours, and was a sight to see. Why do you go around brooding, Truth? He asked. What is troubling you? Because nobody accepts me, responded Truth. They run away from me, whereas you are always invited into their houses. They love to sit around their fires listening to you. Why does everyone avoid me? It's your nakedness, replied Story. People today find it increasingly difficult to absorb naked truth. Use a little bit of imagination. I'll tell you what. I'll lend you some of my fine clothes and you just see how people will take to you. 
Truth followed this advice and decked himself out in stories gay clothes. People no longer shunned him. They opened their doors to him. And since that time, story and truth have been inseparable companions, respected and loved by all. Now, for me to get across to you uh, the naked truth about Satan or the devil, let me tell you a story that I heard and I believe I was in the eighth grade. Now this story, and it's only a story, is I believe in many ways responsible for the fact that I have chosen and been chosen to be a priest. This, um, I went to a, a national school in Tipperary, or a public school as we would call them here, run by the government. And the priest came to visit. His name was uh, Father Phelan. And he began telling us a story. Now, here's the story that he told us. It's the story of uh, a man named Christopher. Now, it's actually a legend that we know of. This character, Christopher, the name means Christ-bearer, never actually existed. And yet, this story has an awful lot to tell us. Okay, let's get on with it here. Uh, when Christopher graduated from high school, he was a very, very strong, powerfully built young man and an idealist. He wanted to serve only the strongest king in the whole world. And the story goes that Christopher searched and found this great and powerful king, the strongest king in the whole world, and hired himself out to work for this king. Well, Christopher was so good that within a very short time he became commander-in-chief of the king's army and navy. And any time there was trouble in the king's empire, um, Christopher would set off with the army and the navy and he'd put down the rebellion. And then peace would come to the kingdom again. Now Christopher was very happy doing what he was doing because as far as he knew, he was serving the strongest king in the whole world. Then one day, the legend goes, Christopher came back to the king's palace, and the king was no place to be found. So Christopher went through the palace crying out, My lord, the king, where are you? Where are you? And finally, after much searching, he found the king hiding away in his bedroom, and the king's face had become a kind of a chalk white. And he said, my lord, the king, what's wrong? And the king explained to Christopher how he was frightened of the devil. Now, Christopher didn't understand anything about devils or demons or spirits of any kind, but this much he did know, that if the king was afraid of the devil, then the devil had to be stronger than the king. So from that day forward, Christopher no longer served the king, and he went searching for Satan, the primeval serpent, the devil, Lucifer. And together they teamed up, and they crisscrossed the world at the speed of summer lightning. And every place they went, they spread dissension 
and bitterness and hatred, husband against wife, wife against husband, nation against nation, black man against white man, white man against black man. Christopher wasn't one bit happy doing what he was doing, but he was stuck as far as he could see. Satan was the strongest king in the whole world. And this went on for many, many years until one day Christopher and Satan were traveling through a huge forest. Now the forest can be any place, rural Ireland, Italy, Poland, Russia, and in a clearing in the middle of the forest there was a huge wooden cross, 50 feet tall, way up in the air, and on it hung a statue of dead King Jesus. Well, the story goes that Satan covered his face and wouldn't look at the cross and this statue of dead King Jesus. Now, Christopher noticed the fear in the devil's face and he said to him, My Lord Satan, who are you afraid of? Now, Satan didn't answer him. Uh, he simply kept covering his face and seemed to be pointing at this wooden statue of a dead man hanging on a cross. And the fear was intense. Now, Satan, being the father of lies, didn't explain to Christopher that this Jesus was risen, risen from the dead, and had been let loose upon the world where nobody could stop his truth. So Christopher now had to leave the devil, but he didn't know what to do. I mean, how can you serve a dead man? How can you serve a wooden king hanging on a wooden cross? So Christopher searched the whole world on and on and on and on, until finally he came to a mighty river. And by the river, by the river's bank, was a hut, and in it lived the proverbial wise man. And Christopher approached the wise man and told him he was searching the world for King Jesus, while the wise man explained that he was a follower of King Jesus. And Christopher said, I want to meet King Jesus so I can serve him. Well, the wise man took a look at Christopher and suggested to him that to meet King Jesus, he had to do much searching after wisdom and much reading, while Christopher explained that he couldn't read. And then um, the wise man looked at him again and he said to him, well then, he said, you must find King Jesus in meditation and prayer. And Christopher explained that he couldn't do this because um, he didn't know anything about prayer. So finally the wise man gets wise, if you like, and he realizes that Christopher is a giant of a man. So he says to Christopher, well, he said, to meet King Jesus, you must serve people. And so I ask you now to sit down by this river and live here. And when people come down to the river, especially when it's in flood, you carry them across the river on your shoulders. So year after year, uh, Christopher carried people across the river, uh, leaning on the great staff he had. And the legend goes that one night this boy came down to the river, uh, about 12 years old. Christopher put him on his shoulders and began to carry him across the river. And as they went across the river, the child got heavier and heavier and heavier 
till he became the heaviest person that Christopher had ever carried. Christopher, the legend goes, looked up over his shoulders and the boy was carrying the world in his hands. When Christopher reached the other side, he put the child down and asked him, Who are you? And the boy said to him, I am Jesus, and every time you carried somebody across the river, you carried me across the river. Now, while this is only a legend, it sums up a great deal of what the believer's life is about, that very, very often we start off serving power and money and the things of this world, and very often we can be led into serving evil, and finally we end up serving one another, and in serving one another we find God. When Jesus talked about evil, um, again he resorts to story to express it. Um, one day trying to explain to us what God was like in the kingdom of God, he said, the kingdom of God may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came, sowed weeds all among the wheat and made off. When the new wheat sprouted and ripened, the weeds appeared as well. The owner's servants went to him and said, Sir, was it not good seed that you sowed in your field? If so, where do the weeds come from? Some enemy has done this, he answered. And the servant said, Do you want us to go out and weed it out? But he said, No, because when you weed out the weeds, you might pull up the wheat with it. Let them both grow till the harvest. And at harvest time I shall say to the reapers, First collect the weeds and tie it in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat into my barn. Now when he left the crowd, uh, he went to the house and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable about the weeds in the field. And he said to them, The sower of the good seed is the Son of Man, namely Jesus, and the field is the world. The good seed are the subjects of the kingdom of God, the weeds the subjects of the evil one, the enemy who sowed them the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, the reapers are the angels. Well then, just as the weeds are gathered up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of time. The Son of Man, namely Jesus, will send his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all things that provoke offences and all who do evil, and throw them into the burning furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then the virtuous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen, anyone who has ears. Now, the, the message that Jesus used here is as simple as if you have a lawn, it's as simple as your lawn, that in the lawn you have grass and weeds, and they're going to grow together until the harvest time. And the weeds represent the children of Satan, who choose what is evil, who choose what is wrong, and the wheat represents the children of God. And at the end of time, then, the angels will appear 
and separate the weeds from the wheat. The wheat will be gathered into the barns of God and the weeds will be thrown into the burning lake of sulfur, which is the second death. Now this shouldn't give anybody any consolation because the weeds in this particular um, parable represent people. And how could anybody be happy in heaven knowing that there are people burning in hell? Also, there's a, a lesson there for anybody who think it's, think it's okay to be violent in the name of Christ. When the servants went to the master and asked him, should we pull up the weeds? Should we get rid of the bad people? He said, no, no, no. He said, let them grow together until the harvest time. This notion of a final separation of good from evil of sheep from goats runs through the scripture from the very, very beginning. When Moses was saying goodbye to the people of God, God's chosen people, the Jews, before they entered into the promised land, he said to them, Behold, this day I set before you blessing or curse, life or death. Choose life then, that you and your descendants may live. There's another passage in the book of Daniel that seems to be talking about the end of the world. It's Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He said, At that time there shall arise Michael, the great prince, guardian of your people, the guardian of the Jewish people. It shall be a time unsurpassed in distress since nations began until that time. At that time your people shall escape, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace. But the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament. And those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever. So I suppose it's very basic, really. Um, we must pay the consequences for our choices in this world. Now, I'd like to put before you something um, what's, uh, that a French writer had to say. A lot of our sins have to do not with what we do wrong, but in the good things we don't do. In Albert Camus' novel, The Fall, there's a devastating line that expresses the truth of how narrow our lives can become. There is a scene where a respectable lawyer, walking in the streets of Amsterdam, hears a cry in the night. He realizes that a woman has fallen or has been pushed into the canal and is crying out for help. Then the thoughts come rushing through his mind. Of course he must help, but, but a respected lawyer getting involved in this way? What would be the implications? What about the natural danger? After all, who knows what has been going on? By the time he has thought it through, it is too late. He moves on making all kinds of excuses to justify his failure to act. Camus writes, 
he did not answer the cry for help because that was the kind of man he was. For myself, uh, about twice a month with a group of other people, I do stand outside a, an abortion mill in Gainesville. Uh, Forty million babies have been murdered since 1972. That's the ones they're telling us about. And I must get involved. Somebody must cry, stop. In the abortion industry, Satan is alive and well. That's all for this week. God bless you. My name is Patrick J. O'Doherty. I'm a priest and a recovering sinner. I'm the pastor of Queen of Peace Catholic Church on State Road 200 in Ocala, Florida, in the Western Hemisphere, in the world, in the universe, and in the mind of God. Shalom. Faith Fit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Doherty. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.